my daughter said, uh, Dad, you know, uh, the bell choir is playing on the morning of the 18th, and you are part of the, ding the bell choirs. I'm the ding-a-ling of the bell choir. And I said, oh, my. It's not going to be good if I get up. So I went to the, I went to the leader, and I said, Pam, I said, I got, a, I got a problem. I said, now, Jerry Lynn, my daughter, said she would step in if need be, and she'd come practice a couple of times and do the bells. And that lady said to me, well, Brother Jerry, let your conscience be your guide. Did you promise to do this? I, I hate it when people treat pastors that way. You know, and I said, oh. So anyway, I, I finally just buckled down. I said, I need to call Gary and talk to him. And I said, Brother Gary, I, I, don't, know, I don't know how you tell this, but I really messed up. I, I double scheduled. And he said, don't worry about it. Galen's going to be here. I said, I spent three days worrying for nothing. You know, I should have just called him right off the bat. But Galen, thank you for being here. Thank you for being here. Because I would have had to have run myself off on a copy machine, and you would have had to have a copy this evening. And, I mean this morning, all right? But you got the real thing tonight, I'm here to tell you. And I've already, I already got a problem, you know. I, thank you, Brother Ronnie, for the music. I love those old hymns. Wow. Oh, and, and, and you sing every verse. I remember someone said that, that the thing they would not want to be in a Baptist church is the third verse of a song in the first pew because they never get used, you know. But So thank you. Thank you for doing that. Uh, but uh, I, I always hesitate to sing because, you see, I, I'm, not, I'm not the world's best singer. I'm not, not at all. I'll just tell you that right up front. I, I remember sitting in the First Baptist Church of Kabul, Missouri, about 172 years ago. And, and I'm sitting there, and I'm just a little kid, and I'm just singing my little heart out, just praising God. And my sister goes, boom! She goes, shut up! Somebody will hear you! And, and, and at that point, I, I decided I couldn't sing. And, and so it's just, you know, uh, I, was, I was 13th out of 12 trumpets in band. You have to think about that, you know. And I never will forget the last day that I was in band. I, I was sitting there, and the band director said, Jerry, why can't you be like your sister? Nye, nye, nye. Because my sister was first chair French horn, first chair saxophone, first chair flute, and I'm last chair trumpets. And I said, somebody has to sit in last chair. And he said, that's right, but it's not going to be you anymore. And so... I went from band to study hall and spent the rest of my days doing that. My older sister was kind of nice to me. She says, Jerry, don't worry. You were sewed up to be a singer. You were just, I mean, you were cut out to be a singer. You just sewed up wrong. And so what we try to do is pass it on to our children. Our children are very, very musical if you've, if you've had a chance to hear from them. And, and that's, been a, that's been a blessing. Brother Ronnie asked my wife the, the question that pastor's wives always get. Do you play the piano? She says, I smile a lot, <laughs> and that's it. But we've made sure that our children learn to play, and uh, they're all very, very good. It's very, very enjoyable, very rewarding. But none of, none of my brothers, well, I started to say, wait a minute. They weren't called to preach either, so they, it works out good, you know. I did notice there's no clock up there. That is good. That is good. Because uh, at Bull Shoals, we had a clock up there. And they determined it didn't mean anything. And so they put a calendar. Now, I don't know how long Brother Gary usually preaches. How long? 20 minutes. Oh, dear. We're in trouble. Well, I'm going to preach 20 minutes. No problem. All right? Uh, but anyway, uh, I, I have so enjoyed, uh, you know, I, I retired a, a year ago.
I'm still very much involved in the church, which is really neat. I have a men's Bible study and a women's Bible study, and, and I love our pastor. It's the first time in my life I've had a pastor. It's really weird. 72 years old, and I got a pastor, you know, and uh, I try to be a pastor to our pastor, you know, and, and so it's, it's, it's encouraging. But, but one of the things that I have enjoyed doing is after, after years and years in the ministry and God just filling my heart and my mind with so many things, I'm like, I've got ADD, you know, yeah, I mean, people know I have ADD, it's just, it's just that way. After being at Bull Shoals for just a, a few years, a new funeral director came, and, and she was just beside herself. I tried to walk her through things, said, don't, don't panic. You know, I've done 674 funerals. That's what you do in a retirement town. I, I buried an entire congregation, an entire congregation. All that means is I'm at the head of the line, <laughs> all right? And, and so it's been a joy, but, but, but you know... I grew up on a dairy farm. Anybody know about dairy farming? You know, we milked our cows and we, we had that, that can of milk. And you got there the next day and on the top of that milk was all this cream, you know. And it took time for that cream to come up. And it's kind of that way in my life that God has done that. And I'm having the privilege of going different places and dipping down into that cream and sharing it with people. And so I'm really enjoying this time in that respect. But, wow, I get to see a lot of different churches and a lot of different people, you know. And so whenever I come to a brand-new place, like I haven't preached here before, except maybe at an associational event or something. And, and so I'm going, hmm, because you ought to see how you look to me. I mean, I, you're looking at me and thinking, you know, making all kinds of judgment calls. And, you know, I do not allow snoring. I, I don't care what else you do, but no, no snoring, all right? Uh, but I, I want to uh, share with you from a passage of Scripture that throughout the years has been so precious to me. And, and it's like every time I look at it, it's just like all new again. And, and the unique thing about this Scripture is I had the privilege a few years ago of getting on a boat on the Sea of Galilee and being asked to preach as we went across the Sea of Galilee. And, and I chose this passage of Scripture during that event because of what it has come to mean to me. And so I'm going to invite you to turn in the book of John to the 21st chapter. Now, while you're turning there, I, I got to tell you, I, 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 I love the reality and the humanness of the biblical writers. And uh, John has some very unique qualities. John, John uses a method in the writing of the Gospel of John that some of you may be familiar with if you're over 60. Anybody here over 60? Three of us. Okay. Um, and it goes like this. See if you can, see if you can do this. Okay. <clears throat> Are you ready? Okay. A peach looks good with lots of fuzz. But man's no peach and never was. Does anybody know what the last sign is? Oh, wow. I thought somebody here would know. We used to travel on Highway 160 all the way across. And on the roads, on the side of the road were these signs. Anybody remember those? Anybody knows what it was? Burma shave, exactly. And that's what they have, like a man, I mean a peach, looks good with lots of fuzz. Man's no peach and never was. The signs all led to one thing. Burma shave. Burma shave. In this veil of toil and sin, your head goes thin, but not your chin. Burma shave. 
And there was just a whole bunch of them like that. And finally, they got risque, and they, they kind of were taken off the highway. The only place you see those now is between here and Flippin' because AirVac uses that. Have you noticed that? You don't look around when you drive, do you? I know it's hard to drive and look at your phone and keep on the road at the same time. Right? I understand. I get that, all right? Uh, but, but anyway, that didn't start with Burma Shave. John did that. And, and, and the Bible says that under the leadership of the Holy Spirit that he picked out seven signs which Jesus did. Beginning with the changing of the wine into water. I got that one backwards. Changing of the water into wine at the marriage feast there at Cana to the raising of Lazarus. And what he would do, he would give a miracle that Jesus did and they would always point to something about Jesus. So he'd give the miracle and then the thing would be Jesus. It's a sign, the meaning of the sign. And so that was his method in writing the book of John. But he says some very interesting things about one thing that John tells us is why he wrote the book. Let me, let me show you that. If you look in John 20, verse 30, notice this. And many other signs, besides the seven that he enumerated, truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these, these seven signs and this grace of the Holy Spirit were written that you might, number one, believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. Now, look at the very last verse of the book of John. Turn your page, one page in your Bible and notice this. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose, says John, that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Isn't that amazing? I mean, if you want to take my life, my whole life from conception to now and put it in a book, you're going to come up with a little pamphlet. <laughs> okay? But if it was written about Jesus, he says, the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Why? Because he's eternal. He's eternal. From creation all the way. And, and so that's very, So John, John says that and he picks those things out. But he does something unique that I have an idea really grates on the other disciples. He refers to himself in the book of John, which he wrote... And he never mentions his name. He always just says, that disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, if you were Peter, what do you think about that? <laughs> well, John, he loves me too. <laughs> now, I know, Peter. Besides that, John, I don't see anybody else in here that's ever walked on water. I mean, there, there was just this thing going back and forth, okay? And, and Peter... The unique disciple, someone said the only time Peter ever opened his mouth was to change feet. And, and, and I look at Peter, Galen, and I think, the guy is ADD. He's just saying things left and right. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's dumb. I mean, this is the, this is the guy who, 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 when Jesus was there at Caesarea Philippi, and he said, who do men say that I am? And, and, and they gave him all kinds of answers. Well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're a prophet. Some say you're a great teacher. You know what they could have said? Well, some say you're a wine bibber. 
Some say you're illegitimate. Some say you're a consorter of sinners. So they were really nice to Jesus. But Jesus said, well, but who, who do you say that I am? And Peter goes, you are Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And uh, Jesus says, you're right, Peter, but uh, guess what? You didn't think of that. My father revealed that to you, and you spoke it. So at that moment, I'm sure Peter's like, ha, 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 ha. Now you guys got it. I got the answer. Because in just a few verses later, Jesus is talking about going to Jerusalem to die. And Peter goes, hold it. You're not going to do that. Remember what Jesus said to him? You get behind me, Satan. Whoa. So he's an easy tool. And if Peter the apostle is an easy tool in the, in, in, in the life, how about ourselves? And I relate to him because I'm, I have that kind of ADD thing. So you'll find that when, I, when I'm preaching or when I'm teaching, there's these things going through my mind. I'd reach up and grab one once in a while, you know. And I started to tell you about the funeral director a while ago, and I got carried away. And, and after two or three funerals, she said, man, you, you've got ADD. I said, I'm a Baptist pastor. Don't worry about it. So one day, I get in the mail a package. You remember back when they were putting rice and stuff in the mail, packages, and they were mailing I got this package. I didn't know what it was. And I went to my secretary. I said, I said you need to open this. We can get another secretary. So she opened it up and held it up, and it was a shirt, and it said this. Some people say, I have ADD, but they just don't under... Oh, look, there goes a rabbit. <laughs> I, I get that, you know? And, and Peter seems to be that way. He is irrational. He does all kinds of things. But I want us to, I want us to read together. Uh, we're going to look at the 21st chapter, and I want us to read together here. And then we're going to draw some things. Now, as, as I go through with you, I, I don't know whether you write in your Bible. Uh, does anybody write in their Bible? You know, there's people who take a letter and say, if you add anything to this, you're going straight to hell. You know, I'm on my way. Because I just write and write. And, and my problem is that I can't read what I wrote an hour ago. Uh, something happened to my penmanship. It just went right out. And, and so I'll have a Bible, one of my old Bibles, and I'll look at it, and I'll go, what in the world did I mean by that? You know, I'll study it and study it and study it. Can't figure it out. Can't figure it out. But so now what I try to do is mentally draw a picture or draw a line or a circle around the word. Now, the problem with that is if you're my age, guess what? You don't remember anything. And uh, Gail and I were talking a while ago and said, man, you know, life just goes, choo, 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 choo. You know, you know, it was just a couple of days ago I was waiting for summer, right? I, I heard someone tell a story about how that, how, how that works, and it's like, he said, you know, uh, my, my wife had a baby. And he said, I'm standing there in, in the waiting room, and the doctor comes in, and he brings that precious little girl. And I, he said, I hold her, and he said, I made a mistake. He said, I blinked. And now she's walking down the aisle in another man's arms. Isn't that the way life is? I mean, boom, gone, just before we even know it. And, and so we, 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 we try to make sense of it as we go along. But you follow along as I read. Now, after these things, John says, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And on this wise, he showed himself. They were together, listen closely, Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus. You know what Didymus is? Or ditto. 
I just had to be called Ditto. Hello, Ditto. It kind of makes me Rush Limbaugh, Ditto head, you know. <laughs> he must be one of the original guys there. I don't know. But anyway, Thomas called Denimus and Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a-fishing. Very, very important phrase. I go a-fishing. They say unto him, we also go with thee. So you've got Peter and six others going fishing. And they went forth and entered into the ship immediately. And that night they caught nothing. Very, very important phrase. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have you any meat? And they answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship. For you landlubbers, that would be the starboard side of the ship. I was in the Navy. I know this stuff. All right. On the starboard side. The right side there. And you shall find. They cast, therefore. Now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore that disciple, <laughs> whom Jesus loved, saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girded his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were uh, 200 cubits, dragging the net with fishes. As soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals and the fish laid thereon. Very important phrase. And bread. Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which you have now caught. Now, let me give you a hint here. Those fish are going to play a very important role, but not for eating. Keep that in mind. Simon Peter went up and drew the net. Does anybody know what he was doing as he drew the net to land? It's obvious. It tells you. He drew the net full of great fishes. Look there. A hundred and fifty-three and no game warden in sight. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broke. That's important. That's important. Because Peter had been here, done that before, and the net broke. Jesus saith unto him, come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. Uh, this is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was raised from the dead. Now let's stop there and go to there before we go any further. But could we just stop and go to the Lord in prayer? Father, you are so gracious to us. Thank you, Lord, that before we were ever born, before we even had a family heritage, you had John record this incident. And as your word says, that uh, not one jot or tittle shall pass from your word, you have preserved it so that we tonight this evening right here can look into it and learn of you. 
And Father, we want to be fed like Jesus fed the multitudes on the shores of Galilee. And I realize, Lord, that in my own capacity, I have absolutely nothing except words. For you are the living word. Your word quickens. So give us spiritual insight this evening. Eyes to see, ears to hear. And cause us, Father, more than anything else, to leave here tonight with a new resolve of loving you like we've never loved you before. So I pray, God, that you would order my lips, that the words of my mouth would be words which give life and encouragement, and that Father would bring glory and honor to you. Thank you for these people. They're your sheep. You feed them. And I pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right. Now, we got, we got to figure out what's going on here. Because this was a post-resurrection crisis. And what is interesting is that it is only about Jesus and the 12 disciples. Nobody else is involved, and yet it is recorded for us. It means something very special about it. Very special. What was happening? You see... After setting the scene, he plunges into the heart of the matter with Peter's announcement, I go a-fishing. Now, that seems innocent enough to you and me. But I want you to understand that Peter was not simply putting a sign on the door in closing shop, gone fishing. Because what Peter is doing, he is abandoning his call of discipleship to return to that which he knows how to do. Anybody know what Peter's nickname was? He was the, let me help you, B-I-G. Big. That's what that word spells. He was known as the, are you guys with me? He was known as the big fisherman. He knew how to fish. Peter never came home empty-handed. Listen, I can go fishing, and it's normal for me to catch nothing because I have found that the only fish there are in the lake are at the taxidermist office or in the guide boat. They're never on the end of my line. But he knew how to fish. He was fishing when Jesus called him. And Jesus said, Peter, come and follow me. You have been a fisherman of fish, but I'm going to make you a fisherman of men. Do you realize he was the greatest evangelist in biblical times that ever existed? He would preach and 3,000 people would be converted on the spot. Wow. What an end gathering. That's just Peter. And Peter is in a situation now where he has spent three years with this man, Jesus. Jesus has been taken. He's captured. He's put up on a cross. He is crucified. And yes, he's risen, but you can't keep a hold of him. I mean, he's all over. And so in discouragement, Peter is going to go back and do that which he likes to do. So basically, he's breaking his relationship with the Lord. We ask, how can Peter... He's vacillating. He's, he's impetuous. But we can understand that this one who said, Lord, be it far from you, could be used by Satan. I mean, think about it. Here's the crisis. Here was the chief apostle. 
not only abandoning his ministry, but guess what? He has a following of six more. Don't ever think that what you do in life does not affect a lot of people around you. And so here's the, here's the crisis. You see, these men had been trained for three solid years. They had walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus. He had taught them his ministry, and, these, and he's been teaching these men. So they had been ready to carry on the work. He was going to shortly give them the great commission to go into the, all the world. So what's the crisis? It was a master stroke of Satan. Think about it. He could not keep the Lord from coming and entering a virgin named Mary and being born. Could not keep him from growing up as a young man for 18 years and then going out onto a ministry until he was 30 years old. He could not keep him from being crucified upon a cross. He could not keep him in a tomb. Now, here's the thing. Salvation had been procured. Does anybody know how a person is saved? By the preaching of the cross. You see, if there was no preaching of the good news of salvation, Satan argued, then the plan of salvation and redemption on lost sinners would simply be null and void. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the proclaiming of the word of God. Silence, no salvation. So John goes off with the narrative and the other disciples say, we're, we're going to come with you. We're going to come with you. And from this point on, what we have recorded for us is how this Jesus dug into the heart of these disciples which had basically left and brought them back. I love the way that Jesus deals with people. I want to learn that as a dad. You know, I've got, I've got, I start to say I've got six girls, but one of them's a boy. I've got five girls and a boy. And they make you like me. That's what happened to me. I was normal when I met my wife, okay? <laughs> She's arguing from the pew, huh? But, but, uh, where was I? Were you listening? Because I got that part. Oh, oh, but disciplining them. And they're all so different. You know what works here doesn't work here. I want a cookie cutter. Or here's the rules. I grow up and be mature. <laughs> Didn't happen in my house, Galen. My dad used to say, son, I can't make you do anything. But I can sure make you wish you had a... Anybody been there? Got parents like that, you know? Yeah. And you know what? He proved it over and over and over. <laughs> he, he really did. So, so we need to see how Jesus deals with people and how he goes to the very heart of the matter and brings Peter back into the fold and consequently the rest of them. So the first thing that he does is this. The Bible says that they went fishing that night and they caught nothing. If you were known as the big fisherman all around Galilee, if people knew that you went out, that you actually left that fishing ministry, I mean that fishing to go, occupation to go in ministry with this man Jesus as itinerant pastor, and now you're back fishing, and you caught nothing. That's phenomenal. 
That is really phenomenal. So what's Jesus doing? He's representing the first step. He made them business failures. The very thing they knew how to do, all of a sudden, they could not do. God may do that in our lives. Because you see, we have these things that we think we do and we know how to do and we're well at it and everything. But God may want to just keep us from having any success in it whatsoever. And so they fished all night. It's amazing. They fished all night and they have nothing. They have not come in. Do you know why they've not come in? You got it. I mean, can you imagine? Hey, Peter, you got anything? No. (laughs) What? No. Peter would stay out there. I mean, there is a crisis in Peter's life. He all of a sudden can't fish. Wow. And so Jesus does something, and it's, it's not unusual there by the Sea of Galilee to have a man appear on shore and look out because you can look out there and you can see where the schools of fish are. Many times people would direct that way. And so here's this person. They don't recognize him yet. I, I love that because what he says is this, children under instruction, have you got anything? <laughs> He's so gentle. I don't know about you, but I, I'd have gone, I can't believe this. I go away for three days and you guys quit. Is this the thanks I get? Yeah. But he didn't. He wants to show him something. And uh, notice what he does. Casting it on the right side. I got a question. Do you think he tried the right side? Uh, They tried the right side, the left side, the back side, the front side, the inside, the outside. Catch nothing. They couldn't catch one fish in the sea. Why? Because the one who charts the path of the wild goose, the one who knows how many hair you have on your head as fast as they fall out, keeps count. That a sparrow does not fall to the ground without his observation. He also directs the path of the fish in the water. Guys, it's dumb to go fishing without consulting the one who directs the fish. Put it on the right side and you'll catch. I think it's interesting, Peter didn't say, well, we've tried that and it didn't work. No, he wouldn't do that because he's desperate. He's desperate. What's he doing? The lesson that he wanted to teach them was, whereas out of his will, they would be business failures. Yet obeying him, they would have success and all their needs needs met. He had taught those guys there on the Sermon on the Mount, seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. We seek all these things, and if we've got some time left, we try to seek righteousness, and we wonder why our lives are not fulfilled. Well, notice the next thing. You know, what was the first thing they saw when they come to shore? Somebody tell me if you remember the Scripture. They saw a fire, and what about it? Fish on the fire and bread. I wonder where in the world the Lord got that. 
Have, have you ever noticed, have you ever noticed that whenever he fed the 5,000 or the 10,000, he didn't call Martha and her chuck wagon to come and feed him? He would simply look in the storeroom of the heavens and call from the spiritual into the physical the same way that he created the world. And there's food. Yeah, he, uh, he knew he could do it. He, 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 he knew he could do it. So it was supplied there. So keep in mind then, he did not need their fish that they had just caught. But bring it. He's got a reason for that. Now, you're going to see this, I hope, in just a few minutes. He did not need him, okay? Now, look what he had. He had, he had, a, he had a group of tired men. They fished all night. He had cold men. <laughs> he, he had discouraged men. But more than that, he had a group of guilty men caught red-handed. <laughs> and what does he do? Come and eat, guys. <laughs> I wonder if they were hungry. I wonder if they were hungry. Come and eat. Come and dine. And, and so, so he, he took care of their physical needs before he began to speak about deeper things. Listen, when people know how much you care, then they're willing to listen to other things in your life. Don't preach a gospel message without relationship of caring. And they did that. A man will trust you with his soul if he can trust you with his physical Needs. So they eat. Peter, bring the fish what you caught. I, I think it's so interesting that, that Peter counted them. He took time to count them. 153 fish. And yet the net was not broken. What's significant about that is earlier Christ had seen them he called them. They were mending their nets and sitting there, Peter and John. And, and they had put all their nets away, and that's a job. And, and Jesus comes and says, uh, cast out. and Because uh, he, he had asked to use their boat, and he preached a message. He says, now, now go out and go fish. And Peter says, oh, we just cleaned them. Nevertheless, because you told us to, we'll let down the net. Instead of letting all their nets down, they let one net down. It filled full of fishes, and the Bible says it just began to break. So Peter's been there, done that. That's why when he says, it's the Lord, Peter goes, ah, oh, here we are again. I mean, this is the man who, who he, he just speaks. Remember one day he's talking to other people, speaking for Jesus. You ever do that? Jesus would want, Jesus would want me to say this to you. <laughs> why can't Jesus just tell me? Well, he wants me to tell you. you know, I'm always wanting to help Jesus, aren't you? If God would consult me just for a little while, I could help him. Right? But for some reason, he didn't do that. And, and so, 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 so there they are. And, and they said, uh, how come your master doesn't pay taxes? Peter says, he does. Then they go in the house. And Jesus said, Peter, how come you told him I pay taxes? He said, who pays taxes? The owner of the property or those who work on the property? Uh, those that work on the property. I gave the wrong answer. Nevertheless, Peter, here's what we're going to do. I want you to take a pole. I want you to go down to the lake. I want you to throw a hook in. And the first fish you catch is going to have money in its mouth. You bring it out. It'll pay our taxes so that those won't be offended. Do you get it? April the 14th, you go fishing. 
little slow on that, aren't you? <laughs> so Peter has been there, and he's seen these kind of things happen, and Jesus knows him. But then we start, and we see how he finishes up and how he really grabs the heart of Peter. And it's the rest which we haven't read. And I like to refer to this as the big question for the big fisherman. All right? Now, I want you to listen to what he says. So when they died, he saith in verse 15 to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Now, we have to stop because you need to understand. He could have been saying one of four things. It's important, or one of three things. It's important we know what it is. He could have said, do you love me more than these disciples, Peter? Or, Peter, do you love me more than these disciples love me? Or, Peter, do you love me more than these fish? Context tells us Jesus pointed to the pile of fish and said, Peter, do you love me more than you love these fish? That's amazing. And the Bible says this. And Peter said, Yea, Lord, thou knowest I love you. He said, Feed my lambs. So he says to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And Peter was grieved because he said the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. And Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. I used to read that and go, I don't get it. Three times and now Peter's grieved. What happened? What is going on here that I do not understand and see? And what I want you to understand is that that he is talking about Peter's relationship to himself because what is the greatest commandment? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy mind, soul, strength. And the second is like unto that, thou shalt love the neighbor as thyself. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Thou shalt love him. He's heard that over and over and over and over. And now the test comes, do you love me? If I was to say to every one of you here, do you love Jesus? Every one of you would raise your hand and say, yes, I love Jesus. Would you not? And Peter said, Lord, you, you know I love you. But the question is, does he? Does he? Do I? Now, you see, it's a matter of love. Versus love. And we cannot see it in our English version of the Bible. And the reason for that is that we, we're, we're, I don't know, we're lazy or something. You know, we say, I love ice cream. <laughs> I, I love fish. I, I love my dog. I love to hunt. I love God. And we hope, oh, and I love my wife. I want to beat that in there, you know. And we hope that we understand it. We mean all kinds of different things within that same word, love. Right? 
I heard someone say the other day, you know, I, I just love fish. I just love to eat them. Have you thought about that? You love fish so much, you'll kill them. It's kind of fishy love. <laughs> so, in the Koinonia Greek of the first century, there were different words, which we just translate love. Basically, there's three ways. There's, there, there's the Greek word eros. And the word eros is where we get our word erotic. And it simply means attraction between male and female, unless it's perverted, and then it can be male to male and female to female, but that's perversion. And, and it's, not, it's not used here in this text. When I found out that that's what that word simply means, and every time I drove to Harrison and saw the sign eros, I said, Lord, don't make me live in eros. I believe if I lived there, I'd, 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 I'd petition to have the name changed, love. Uh, I'd rather live in love than eros, wouldn't you? I mean, think about it, no? <laughs> okay, so that's the first word. But the, the second word is the word phileo. You've heard of it. You, you know it very much. The city of brotherly love is the city of Philadelphia. Phileo, the city of brotherly love. It is used 45 times in the New Testament. It is the word that Jesus used, or the Jews used, when, they, when Jesus stood at the tomb of Lazarus and wept. And they said, my, how he phileoed him. Phileo. <coughs> Important word, phileo. But then there's one more. And phalo is a fond affection, an unimpassioned love. Okay? But there's one more, and it's agape. You know that word. It's a love which is given by God, manifested through his people. And it's a love called out of a person's heart by an awakening. <coughs> <coughs> Have you got any water here? That's about as strong as I want, okay? I'm a Baptist. <coughs> I'll be right back with you. I'm going to drown right here in front of you. <coughs> Anybody know how to do artificial respiration or whatever that is? <coughs> Hamlet. <coughs> wow. Happens when you get old. Just, your body just quits working. It doesn't pay attention to you. It ignores what you tell it to do. Has any of you ever figured that out yet? You know, it's like, wow. 45 times, agape. It is a love called out of a person's heart by an awakened sense of the value in the object which causes one to prize it. Best example we have. For God so agaped the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth him should not perish but have everlasting life. Thank you so much. <laughs> now if I drown, <laughs> you'll get it. <laughs> Don't you wish you had some? <laughs> See the offering place here. I got to tell you a story. I heard. I heard about a dad, dad, and his little boy that visited church one night, and it was a Sunday night, and they took up the offering and. He's the only one that put anything in. It was just a dollar, and he put it in the offering plate. And <clears throat> when he got ready to go out, uh, the pastor, he said, uh, I said, sir, I really appreciate your generosity, but it would be easier for you just to take this and bring it back next week or something and put it in the offering plate than for us to run it through the books of the church. So just take it. The little boy looked up at his dad and said, see, Dad, if you'd have put more in, you'd have got more out. 
Remember that when it comes to church, okay? If you put more in, you get more out, all right? So, let's, let's compare. Let's compare. Uh, agape, uh, phileo is a love of pleasure. Agape is a love of preciousness. Agape is a love of, I mean, phileo is a love of delight. Agape is a love of esteem. Phileo is a love called out of the pleasurable qualities in the object loved. Agape is a love called out of the heart because the object is. Phileo takes pleasure in. Agape ascribes value to. Phileo is a love of liking. Agape is a love of prizing. Phileo is a love of emotion. Agape is a love of devotion. Now, what I want you to see that we don't see is Jesus was using those words interchangeably. And it's very, very important. Picture the scene. Jesus is asking Peter, Peter, do you love me more than these? Peter, bring the fish that you caught. Bring them up here. We've eaten now. We're all satisfied. Here's the fish. Here's Peter. Peter. Do you love me more than these fish? Peter says, you know I love you. You know I love you. Now I want you to see what he says. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, son of Jonas, Agape thou me more than these? In other words, the love that you should have for me Do you have it for the fish more than me? Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I phileo you. Lord, I have a fond affection for you. I'm glad to know you. I like you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, agape thou me. He saith to him, yea, Lord, thou knowest I phileo you. He saith unto him, feed my sheep. And I watch the third time. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, phileo thou me? You've proclaimed that you have a fond affection for me. In light of the fish, do you really phileo me? And the Bible says Peter was grieved. He got the message. He got the message. Are there any trout fishermen in here? Any? Any? Raise your hand if you are. I got a question to ask. Do you guys live in Gasville, Arkansas, or what? Any hunters here? What do you guys do? <laughs> oh, okay. I shot some golf once, but my wife didn't know how to clean them. I learned something about trout. I'm not a trout fisherman. I could be considered a trout eaterman. But but trout spoil. I mean, within a matter of Yeah. In no time especially if it's hot, if you don't put them on ice. I have a neighbor and, and Galen he would come home after fishing. 
And he said, I caught some fish, Brother Jerry. I want to share them with you. And I go over there. He'd pull them out of the trunk. And ever since he caught them, he just threw them in the back of the trunk. So when they got to my house, they're laying there. They're dried out. They're fishy. I know you'll want some. And I, you know, I do. <laughs> I've never eaten any of them, but I always took them. You know, just be gracious to the giver. Yeah, oh, I didn't think of that. <laughs> Anybody fish on Crooked Creek down by the slab? Oh, wow. Love it. Love it. You ever been down there? Oh, man. I used to take my daughters down there. But what we would do, we would stop at the, um, remember where the front porch restaurant, the creek right there? I'm here to tell you, that's the best place in the world to catch crawdads. And my daughters love to catch crawdads. They just squeal and scream and holler, you know. Oh, man, they love it. And, and so we always stop there and catch crawdads. And we go down to the slab and catch some, some bass. So one day we're on the way down there. And somehow or another, they spilled that bucket of crawdads in the back seat of my car. And I said, all right, kids. Make sure you find every one of them. Put it back in there. Got them all, Dad. No sweat. We come home. Park the car. The windows are up. It's August. It's 173 degrees. And I went out there and I opened the door and boom. Ah. Listen. Those fish which Peter prized. When Jesus made his point. Became the last thing Peter ever wanted to see. Peter you don't love me. You say you do, but you don't. Because you've spent your time and your energy and everything that I have given to you to go back and go fishing. Peter, that's not even phileo love. And Peter was heartbroken. There's an advertisement on television. I wish I could remember what it was. It ends up by, what's in your wallet? You know that one? Jesus would say this. What's in your net? What's in your net? What is the thing that drives you? What is the thing that you're able to do? What is in your net? It could be busyness. It could be people. It could be pleasure. I don't know what it is. But every one of us have a net, and Jesus invites us to bring our net and set it down so that he can ask us, Do you love me, Jerry, more than these things in your net? And he can can even say, I can tell you, Jerry, if you'll let me look at your checkbook for just a moment. No, Jerry, you love the things in the net when you love me. You're to love me with all your heart, mind, and soul. If you like fish, love me first. I'll supply the fish. (laughs) You got it? If you like pleasure, love me first. I'll supply the pleasure. Listen, I, can, I have been guilty of filling my net full of pastoring because that became my identity. My identity is not pastoring. My identity is a child of the living God. It's got to be or my net is giving me away. So Peter had to admit, no, Lord, I don't love you. And then Jesus said something to him very important. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, 
When thou was young, you girded yourself and walked as whither you would. <laughs> Peter, you've done what you wanted. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry you where you would not. Do you know what he's talking about? The Bible says he spake this signifying by what death Peter was going to die. Peter would go from this after the day of Pentecost and become such a man who loved his Lord and he spent his life that when it came time for him to be a martyr, history tells us he did not see himself worthy to die in the same manner as his Savior and he requested to be crucified upside down. What a change. At that moment, if Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? Peter would say, oh, yes, Lord. I love you. But he's not there yet. And you've got to see this because it brings us back to reality. Then Peter turning, seeing the <laughs> disciple whom Jesus loved, following. He's also the one that at the Last Supper leaned on the breast of Jesus and said, who betrayed you? Peter seeing him saith to Jesus, well, Lord, what about him? I love Jesus' answer. If I will that he tarry till I come, what's that to you? You follow me. How often do we compare what God's doing in our life with somebody else and say, Lord, what about, what about Galen? What, what about Martha? What about my children? Jerry, <laughs> what I do with them is my business. You follow me. So the question that you and I have to answer this evening is the question... Do you love me more than what's in the net? And if the evidence is against you, repent and say, Lord, I don't. But Oh, I want to. I want to. We love him because he first loved us. Got it? Good. God bless you. I appreciate you so much. Shall we pray? Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for pricking my heart again, Lord. It's so easy for me to glibly say, Lord, I love you with all that I am. And yet, if I look around, there's an awful lot of competing things that I love. So, Father, would you sharpen and hone my heart? Tune it to walk with you. God, I pray the same for these. And Father, I want to add to this this evening that as Brother Gary has gone away from them, that you would restore his soul. Give him spiritual vigor as he comes back and continues in the role which you've called him to this church. And thank you again for loving us. For we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you.